0: Last time on the SoxProspects.com podcast.
1: Starting off with Matt Barnes. Uh, Ian, what do you know about Barnes? Barnes, he's basically been a top 20 lock since uh, last summer on the Cape. He's he's not exactly your prototypical college righty. He's got a lot more power. Uh, He sits 92 to 94. He's got a great breaking ball. He'll throw a two-seam fastball. There's really very little downside there. I think if you're looking at a pitcher who can... Get to the, get to the big leagues fast. He's probably a good guy to pluck with 19. He he could be you know, he could be challenging for some type of spot on the on the roster within two to three years.
0: Most of the mock drafts I've seen lately have t- have the Red Sox taking Blake Swihart, a catcher out of Cleveland High School in New Mexico. Uh, do you know much about him, Ian?
1: Uh, he's a, a switch hitting catcher, he's very athletic, a, a little small, I think he's in the 6 foot, 175 pound area, but he's a—you uh, know—he's—he's going to stay at the position, he's got good power and good, good athleticism.
0: Alright, well that was uh, some audio from our last podcast. Uh, for those of you who are listening, you knew ahead of time the scouting reports on Matt Barnes and Blake Swihart, uh, the first two picks by the Boston Red Sox in the 2011 MLB Draft. Uh, anyway, this is the SoxProspects.com podcast for July. As you can tell, I'm not Mike Andrews. This is Chris Hatfield. Uh, we're going to be running things a little differently uh, this this month. The inmates running the asylum, so to speak. Um, as I said, I'm Chris Hatfield, uh, the senior editor and columnist for SoxProspects.com. With me as usual, uh, the only other regular who's on the podcast today is Chris Mellon, our director of scouting. Uh, Chris, welcome back.
2: Thank you, Chris.
0: It's good to good to have you. Uh, And then, Chris, we should briefly mention. Speaking of last podcast, correctly predicted Matt Barnes being selected with the first pick, uh, number nineteen overall. Everybody gets
2: lucky once in a while, right? Run into a fastball, so.
0: Blind squirrel finding a nut. Good work. Good work. Uh, And uh, with us introducing you to the these two to the masses, I guess so to speak. Um, if you follow the website, you're probably familiar with their work, but uh, with us is uh, our our apparently new, newly named, but uh, has been scouting with us for a while, Northeast Scout Ian Cundell. Ian, welcome to the podcast.
3: Thanks, Chris. Good to be here.
0: Yeah, yeah. And uh, also joining us for the first time, he uh, came down with us to spring training this, uh, this spring. He's been doing a lot of good work. On our news page is John Mioli, uh, our columnist, and who probably... At this point needs a better title than that, but we'll deal with that in the off season. John welcome
4: thank you very much. good to be here
0: and uh yeah, so th- like I said, this is going to be a little bit different uh than most podcasts. Uh, Mike is not here to run the show, and uh Ian Theodoridis is is not with us this time either, but uh what can we say? Real life comes gets in the way sometimes
2: we're going to get through it we're going to get through we it will we got it
0: we will by hook or by crook, we'll get there um some things we want to talk about today. Uh, some of you sent us in some questions via Twitter. We'll we'll get to most of those, hopefully. Also talk about uh, the trade deadlines coming up. This will probably be our last podcast before the trade deadline. What do we think the Sox need and what minor leaguers do we think might go uh, along those lines? It's kind of an interrelated discussion. Uh, next season, It's a little, it might be a little early to look at this now, but I don't think it is. The 40-man roster, there's going to be kind of a logjam uh, on the 40-man roster. Uh, there are at least four guys by our count who are not currently on the 40-man roster that need to be added, uh, and some other guys who are on the bubble. So what are the Red Sox going to do? Are they going to add them? Are they going to trade them? Are they going to risk losing them in the Rule 5 draft? Um, And we'll also, of course, talk about the latest news, transactions, who's hot, who's not, things like that. And I'll just generally put these three on the spot uh, because I can, because I'm running things today. So uh, I guess we'll start off with uh, some recent names that have uh, kind of been at the forefront of Red Sox prospect discussion, uh, both through transactions and just with their play. Uh, I guess we'll start with uh, a younger guy who kind of came on the radar really late last season in in Fall Instructional League, I guess, was when he made his biggest splash. Had a great year in the Dominican Summer League, was named the Red Sox uh, Latin Program Player of the Year. And uh, we had him pegged for Lowell, but all of a sudden in June, Xander Bogarts got promoted to Greenville out of nowhere, and he's been tearing it up. Um, Mellon, I think you're the only one here who's seen him, if I'm I'm correct. Tell us, what's what's the deal with Bogarts? And, do, you know, tell us how, I, guess, I, I, I did we see this coming? I know, we, I guess we didn't, but uh, what's the deal with Bogarts?
2: Well, uh, you know, we didn't really see it coming that he was going to be you know promoted to Greenville to start his first uh pro season in the US. I don't think if I don't think there's been a prospect in the system who's gone from the DSL right to Greenville. I could be wrong, but without even playing in the GCL or Lowell. So this is no. he is ahead of schedule and, and in in Jonathan Singer's uh interview with uh Eddie Romero Jr., the Latin American director, he, Eddie mentioned that he was ahead of schedule. You know, this was a pleasant supply, surprise for the organization that he showed that he's ready to handle Greenville. So I think this is a this is a good thing. You know, with uh, Bogarts, he's he's very athletic. He's got he's very he just oozes talent. He's he's the ultimate toolsy guy. He's got potential for all five tools to be there. You know, as he as he progresses through the system um, initially he does some things on offense that you just don't see out of players his age you know he's also rough and raw in his pitch recognition and his um, his approach he uh, you know he's still a, you know you expect that out of him but um, you know some of the initial reports out of Greenville are that he's he's assimilated in and he's he's playing some good baseball and he's improving uh, especially defensively I've heard you know he didn't look quite as rough in, uh, defensively as he did down in uh, spring training and instructs when I saw him
0: and just to throw some numbers out there, um, slugging-wise of players who've played for Greenville this year, he's got the fourth-highest slugging total at 5'11". At the only players he's behind are Bryce Brents and Miles Head, who are now in Salem, and Brandon Jacobs, who, I don't know, I feel like, I, I don't know if he'll be, we'll, we'll discuss Jacobs later, but, um, I mean, that's some heady company. Noteworthy, however, is the fact that his on-base percentage is a solid 70 points behind all three of those guys. So as as Chris mentioned, there's some room to grow there. Um, and, that's,
2: and that's 21 games as well, so it can fluctuate. Yeah. You know, his slugging percentage could drop 100 points in oh, for sure. four games. Yeah, for
0: sure. But six home runs in 25 games at this point is, I mean, from a kid that pretty young good. is kind of unbelievable. That's um, pretty good. Ian and John, just as guys who follow the system, what are you guys seeing as a guy this young going to Greenville and doing what, what Xander's done, Xander Bogarts? Either I'll, one, I'll, take, I'll take this okay. one, I
4: guess, first. I had a chance to speak to Billy McMillan down in Greenville last week, and he said that they, too, were pleasantly surprised with just kind of the way this kid's developing and the way he's going about it and the transition from down to the Dominican to, you know, full-season ball, even though he didn't do it at the beginning of the season, is a tough one for all of them to make. And he saw a kid that, not right away, obviously, but in the future could absolutely be playing for a major league ball club. At this point, that's what you want to hear from a manager. He's not going to say otherwise, but... You could tell he really believed it when he was saying it. Mm-hmm.
0: And Ian, I know you were there when we were discussing uh, his ceiling. I mean, you know, as far as the boomer bust potential, uh, I mean, what are your thoughts on that as far as Bogarts goes?
3: In, with Bogarts, you probably have the prospect with the highest ceiling in the whole organization, um, ahead of Middlebrooks, ahead of everyone. Um, but he also is the type of player that he might get to double A and flame out there. Mm-hmm. So it's the ultimate risk-reward type player. And, um, I mean, they have to be pleasantly surprised with what he's done. Um, I know uh, in Lowell they mentioned that they had him penciled in the lineup, and uh, they were not expecting him to get put up in Greenville. So, Sox pro- uh, have to be happy with what he's done so far.
0: Yeah, Lowell kind of got shafted. <laughs> who else There, There were a couple guys who were ticketed yeah, but, for, Green- for Lowell that to Ramos, Henry,
2: Henry Ramos. Henry Ramos. And uh, right. Hiker, Hiker, Hiker Manassas, Manassas, Manassas at shortstop. So, they're, they're a little thin with the guys that they thought were going to be there.
0: But it's good for the system, I think, you know, to have those guys that high. Um, another guy who recently was promoted but much higher up in the system that might have caught some people by surprise given some work he has to do is Ryan LeVarnway. Uh certainly making some of us who kind of – I know I kind of poo-pooed that, uh, that move as being a little premature given the work he has to do defensively. But um, with the bat, since LaVarnway has gotten to Pawtucket in 26 games – uh, 343 average 414 on base 646 slugging seven homers nine doubles uh clearly the bat will play um I, I, what are they do is this the catcher of the future at this point uh, i'm seeing that in some places uh some say dh some say kind of bench guy uh, i don't know uh what say you guys let's let's uh start with uh we'll go with ian new guy tell us what do you see um, in levinway's future
3: i've i've seen it a couple of times and i mean his defense is rough he's definitely improved from when he joined the organization um he's improved his receiving skills blocking um he's you know he's he's a little limited um movement wise from side to side but he's definitely you know working hard and trying to improve behind the plate um the bat is the tool that will obviously be carrying him for now and next i mean chris and i have talked about this that next year um it we'll see if the Red Sox are comfortable enough with him to maybe have a situation with him backing up Saltalamachia at catcher and uh, also splitting time at DH and playing a little first base. But um probably he's gonna have to be versatile in order to carve out a significant career. Um because the bat alone isn't gonna be able to carry him. But you never know. I mean, with that type with the numbers he's putting up right now, it's been definitely uh exceeding my expectations at Pawtucket at least.
0: How about you guys? Chris, John, either you guys as far as his future, do you do you see that what Ian said being his his potential, or do you see another, you know, another future for LeVarnway?
2: I, I I see that I see that as his future. I don't I don't see him as a everyday hundred and twenty five to hundred and thirty game catcher. You know, like Jason Veritek was in his prime, catching that many games. You know, as as Ian said, he's he's rough. He's still rough defensively. You know, some of the people that I talk to say you know, he still has a long way to go, and when you're in Triple A, and, and scouts within the game are saying that you still have a long way to go, you know, defensively, that to me that's a signal that maybe his skills have ceilinged out a little bit, and although they have been improving, you know, can how much more improvement is really there for a guy that's 24 years old, and I know catchers take a while to develop and, and everything like that, but, um, but
0: he went to Yale.
2: Right. He went to Yale, and he, can, and he can call a good game. I'm not being facetious, but there is going to Yale or going to, you know, University of Florida, If it's all about your talent level and, and if you have that, those skills to develop. And, and I'm not watching him for the last two years pretty closely defensively. I'm not quite sure the skills are there to be an everyday catcher.
0: Oh, all right. Well, Chris Mellon on the record saying that the University of Florida is a bad academic school. Uh, John yep. Mioli, <laughs> anything to I have?
2: meant for baseball schools, my friend.
0: I know, I'm messing with you. I'm messing with you. Uh, Mioli, what do you got? Anything Anything to add on, on LaVarnway?
4: Uh, not much to add, but in terms of the bat playing, I believe it was the game they were playing the Rays when we were down in spring training. I think it was James mm. Steele still in the game when yep. LeVarnway just parked one on him. So, I mean, yep. it's one of those things that <clears throat> if you'd look at it then, he definitely had the bat to play then, and it's just a matter of his defense catching up with it.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think there's something to be said for the versatility. I mean, You look at the Sox bringing up Navarro recently, and that uh, Navarro wasn't hitting well in in Pawtucket, but his defensive versatility, in my opinion, was something that got Navarro up. You think if Levarnway can make himself a backup catcher first base DH, that gets him a spot on the roster, and maybe they can groom him as the heir apparent to Ortiz at DH, perhaps. Um, I don't think he's necessarily going to be ready for that next year. I don't know about you guys, but... Um, I think if you can groom him to be that, maybe after a two-year deal for a tease, perhaps, that might be a good future for LeVarnway. I know, uh, um, you know, the Sox, they've, they've never really groomed a DH, so we don't know what they look for. So would they go with a homegrown DH? I don't know. But um, it'll be interesting to see what they do with LeVarnway. Uh, do we do we agree he at least comes up in September for a cup?
3: Yes. Yes. He he can hit lefties right now at the major league level, without a doubt. So
0: Yeah, I'm going to.
4: Making
0: a full agreement there. Yeah. Alright. Um moving on to some other guys. Recent promotion from Greenville, we kinda I mentioned that trio in, in Greenville that had kind of torn the cover off the ball all year. The most recent promotion out of that group to Salem was Miles Head, the first baseman. Kind of really coming from off the prospect radar to just rake so far this year in Greenville. Just to look at those numbers again. Uh three thirty eight average, four oh nine on base, six twelve slugging and he actually was at his best uh, near the end of the month. Uh, he was actually our June player of the month for the website. Uh, what do we think out of Miles Head? Is, is he a prospect? Is he the latest Andrew Pinkney that gets hot for a year and then we never hear from again? He's, he's still pretty young. I believe he's in the, uh, I, he might be, I think he was the eighth youngest player in the Carolina League now, if I remember correctly. Um, I don't know which, which of you guys have seen him, and what do you think? Anybody? I can, did I can, you st- yeah, I, oh, I can take no. that
2: one to start. Um, I'm a little, I'm held back. I, I think I don't think he's a top tier prospect. You know, he, you know, he's 20 years old and he put up a pretty good stat line. You look at that and say, "Wow, 20." And I and I saw, you know, c- people started comparing his stat line to Bryce Harper's and saying Miles Head has this line versus Bryce Harper's, and to me that was kind of not. I don't want to say ridiculous, but I, I just thought, well. You know there was a reason why Bryce Harper was the number one pick overall, and, and he's been fast tracking through the you know the minors as we see. And, and Miles Head was not really on the radar to start the season because it, it seemed like to me that Head's more of a mistake hitter than a than a natural hitter. And an in, in an a ball, it, when I watched when I was down in Greenville, those pitchers make a ton of mistakes, and and they don't get ahead in counts, and they miss with easy fastballs and in pitchers counts, and they hang a lot of balls. So it's I'm held back just on that green, you know, seeing what he does in the Carolina League, which to me is a much better pitching league. It seems like those teams struggle a lot more offensively in the Carolina League. If you look at the overall team numbers, their numbers are kind of down overall the last couple of years. So I want to see how he does in the Carolina League. And I think he could be, you know, a guy who can potentially be there for the entire season in 2012.
0: Some tough parks in that league, too, as we saw when Wilmington... Yep, was it was the Red Sox uh, Red Sox affiliate, um, Mioli? I know you've seen Greenville a few times. Have you have you gotten a chance to see Had at all?
4: Yeah, I got a chance to see him a couple of times, and I know the bat. I mean, Mellon was dead on that he can hit mistakes, and there's a lot of mistakes in that league. But he's also going to have to work on his defense over at first to be able to track through the minors. I saw mm-hmm. he just kind of made a bad judgment play, charging a chopper in the one game that I saw, and it went right over his head. Probably should have stayed back on it. And, you know, some of it's excusable. He basically got to low last season. They told him he was going to move to first. But, I mean, for someone like him, he's going to need to be able to play a good first base if his bat isn't going to – if he's not going to put up the same stats he did in A, going through the system.
0: Yeah, that's so, That was strange to me. You've got a guy who – let's face it. they It's not like they didn't know David Renfro was at third base and who was with him. vitic I think, right? Yeah. I, I mean, wouldn't you at least have him take some ground balls there in extended? In first base, that just—I remember being very kind of surprised by that. Yeah, I don't was, think you are uh,
4: the only one. I think caught him off guard too. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Um, I mean, uh, Ian, you got anything else that we uh, we haven't hit on with head, but uh, that, but you're uh, eager to get out.
3: Uh, the only thing is, he's one of the guys that um, I mean, scouts refer to him. He's got a body that he really has to watch. He's got to work on his conditioning and always stay in uh, top shape because he's got you know the type of body where he could fill out and just play himself out of baseball by uh just not working hard enough so he's got to be watching that always seems like
0: yeah it always kind of i'm always kind of wary of guys that are already first baseman in the minors you know because you look at some of these guys who have been successful in the majors at first base i mean Pujols came up as a third baseman uh you know some guys do come up that way uh, but you know Teixeira, adrian gonzalez come to mind but you know sometimes well, this,
2: these eugelis was a thir- is it chair was a third was- baseman when he came up too
0: was it oh, that's right that's Cause right okay. cuz Hank,
2: Hank Blaylock played third base and they pushed uh U- over to first base
0: right 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 and i mean it, it, we just see that in general that's why you know sometimes we get asked oh why do the red Sox load up on all these center fielders and shortstops so, well it's because the, you know the guys tend to start there and move over it's not off you know if a left fielder gets too big he doesn't really have too far to go maybe there's first base you know, but if you've got guys that fill out from center field or from shortstop, they can move to a corner or, uh, say, second base. Um, I, I guess along those lines, one question, I, I guess a lightning round question I wanted to pose to you guys mentioned that trio of uh, Brent's head and Jacobs who've all had kind of breakout years starting in Greenville. Uh, you could take one. Who uh, who would you take? I guess we'll go in reverse order how we how we did that. Ian, who would you take out of those three?
3: um i'm gonna take jacobs um i know brents is at salem and you know he's got power potential but uh i don't know if the hit tools there um he's you know he's got a lot of swing and miss in his game and doesn't walk a lot he's gonna have to work on his approach um with jacobs i mean just so much potential there he didn't really start focusing on baseball until he got to uh the red Sox system because he was going to go to auburn and play football also so he's starting to transform his body he's losing his football weight and turning it more into a baseball body and uh i just think he's got a much higher ceiling than any of the other two guys Mioli,
4: Mioli. I'm a bit uh I'm a bit biased I'm much more familiar with Brents than the other two and just the way that I saw him hit the ball when I saw them a couple of weeks ago in Wilmington over two games per stretch like you said it's a ballpark that's tough to hit the ball out of he could have had four home runs easily he had two. I mean he's also a guy that sits on the fastball and sits on the mistake now and it's going to take a better a much better play discipline but if he's the one with the track record, he's the one I'll take.
0: All right, Mellon, who do you got?
2: You know, I, I like Brandon Jacobs a lot in terms of his ceiling, but I'm a little bit hesitant on his defense out there on left field. And um, you know, if I gotta I gotta look at the overall well roundedness of the player and, and with Jacobs, you know, coming I, I think he can learn how to play left field, but I also think that he's gonna have to hit a ton to you know, he's you know, he's not a guy who can who can be a fourth outfielder. For you, if the bat doesn't come around, you know, come around at the major league level, like you think, and it, it, you think it's going to. I think Brents can play left and you know and right field. He he projects as a right fielder. With Jacobs, you're gonna ha- he he can't move around the outfield. So I'm gonna go with Brents if I had to pick one of the one of the three players. You know, with Brents. Pretty much, you know, along the lines of what Mioli said in terms of that, he can hit the fastball. I think that he can learn with his approach. I I do think it's going to take time. But and I and I think worst case scenario, if the bat doesn't quite develop to that potential of the power, then you do have someone who could be a fourth outfielder and play two of the three. You could even, you know, they even threw him out in center field when he was at Lowell a little bit. And I don't think he could play a major league center field. But he's versatile enough that if he doesn't end up being an everyday you know, steady major league regular for eight year an eight-year career, he could, you know, provide some fourth outfield type off-the-bench platoon role.
0: Yeah, I think I'm with you on that uh, as far as Brents goes, Chris. Uh, to me, like you said, it, Jacobs at this point is limited to left, but uh, the thing that I think a lot of people forget about Jacobs is he's the only one of those three that's got some speed on the base paths too. He's got 20 steals and 27 attempts this year. Um, and As we mentioned, he's learning the game. I think in order for him to be as valuable as Brents is now, he's going to have to learn, perhaps, to play some right field. And I don't know if that's necessarily out of the question for him. They have moved some guys to tougher defensive positions farther up the ladder. I'm thinking of, uh, for example, Josh Reddick, when he got to Portland, all of a sudden started playing some center field. Um, Also, looking at, I mean, even Sun Chang, who we'll talk about a little later on, uh, he's a guy who moved from left to right. I think that might have more to do with um, perhaps him having a good arm and then wanting to find him a permanent home so he can learn the outfield. But uh if he can maybe move further up the line in the long run he might be more valuable but I think Brent's with the power he has right now might be more of a, a surer bet of the three. I could be dead wrong. I you know I did say, I was way off with my prediction last week, unlike you, Chris. Uh I I think what do I say? Jose Fernandez? I think he won the first round. I don't think he made it to the Sox but Shows you what I know. Um, so at any stretch, that's those guys. Uh, one other transaction that we should at least mention briefly. I don't know if there's too much left to talk about that we haven't said in past podcasts. But uh, Kyle Wyland getting a spot start with the Red Sox this past Sunday. Uh, did all right. He got kind of hit around in that second inning. Uh, but came back, recovered, pitched a good third and good fourth inning before he got run in the fifth inning. Uh, it's always a memorable Major League debut when you get thrown out for hitting a guy by accident so that's always fun for Wyland, but a guy a lot of people had pegged as a future reliever do we think that maybe he's becoming more of a Justin Masterson type who might be able to stay in the the starting rotation Uh, or is this more of a Papelbon getting a spot start before eventually moving to the bullpen type situation anyway I guess we'll go with Mioli what do you think
4: I'm not really sure at this point I mean I think that before it's all said and done, he's going to be back down to get a couple more starts with Patuck and just get some more innings under his belt. But he's definitely in line for a bullpen roll in September. And the way the rotation shakes out in the future, that might be the place where he best serves the team with the holes they're going to have. So it definitely was, a, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say a great debut, but, you know, the stuff was there. He could be a little sharper, but in the future, I think he'll take care of that.
0: Mm. Scouts, anything?
3: Ian, you can go first. Um, I think this year uh, they'll probably, he'll go back down to uh, Pawtucket, work a couple more starts, as Mioli said. Then they'll start transitioning into the bullpen for uh, the stretch run. And I think he'll be back up probably, you know, late August, September, when rosters expand um, as a reliever. But when it gets to spring training next year, I think you got to try him out as a starter. Um, you know, the, the Red Sox don't have very many pitchers in their organization right now who can project as starters, you know, Guaranteed right now, so um, you got to try him out there until
2: he fails, and then you can move him to the bullpen as a last resort. What do you think, Chris? Uh, as As I wrote in the ladder last week, when I and I did Weiland, I, I do th- I think he's a bullpen guy. I don't not, nothing that he's done this season has really changed my mind on that. I, I think that he could. If you're a small market team or a second division team who wants to get an inexpensive arm and and get have them log innings. Just to see if they can stick in a rotation, uh, the, 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 the Wyland's attractive. But to me, in the outing that was, what what was noticeable in the outing was is I think he threw one changeup in in his five in his four plus innings, and um, he threw mostly fastball. Um, he threw his cutter, and he threw some curveballs. You know, there people have been saying that maybe it's a plus pitch, but I think it's more like a solid average pitch for him. It's not something, you know, it's not like Buckholz's curveball in terms of you know being on that type type of level and, and he doesn't really have three three pitches including a changeup that he leans on so it just to me I think he's more you know seventh inning guy can can pitch multiple innings out of a bullpen and um help the major league team down the line in that aspect.
0: So you're not impressed by the fact that I mean that cutter is something he added back I guess. He used it at Notre Dame, but the Red Sox wouldn't let him throw it until this year. The fact that yeah. he's added that cutter doesn't really do it for you.
2: No, it doesn't it you know unless his fastball is good. I mean, his fastball you can get up to ninety four. But as you mentioned, Justin Justin Masters his is ninety four, ninety five with tremendous sink. Wyland has a lot of run on his fastball, so it's not it's not one of those balls like you know like Roy Halladay's fastball ninety three, real heavy in terms of always going downwards. Wyland runs in on right handed batters, and and with that cutter, I don't think he can just. You know looked a little slurvy, I just don't think he can sit there and throw that cutter twenty twenty five times a game when batters realize that's that's what he's got because he doesn't really have a pitch that changes the speeds on the batters and drops out you know his curveball he looks the back door or he sweeps it, but that change up, i didn't i haven't really seen a change up from him since he got the double a it's been more like a fringe average pitch for him, average at best so i i just i didn't see it i
0: mean to me he's kind of strikes me as a guy that the Red Sox uses a trade piece. With a maybe a second division team that thinks that can wait him out and see if he's a starter, or if he transitions into that bullpen role, um, take a look at the season Masterson's having. I don't think the Red Sox were able, with you know needing to compete every year, to wait and see if that's what he would become as a starter. So maybe get value for him that's a little bit more than the middle reliever that he's going to be for you. I think that Wyland might be a situation like that where, to the Red Sox, maybe he pitches the seventh and that's what he's locked into, but. For another team, maybe they can give him a year in the rotation, see if he pans out, see if that changeup gets better, see if that curveball becomes a nice strikeout pitch for him, perhaps. I was reading, uh, I think Dan Horde had a blog post where he was talking with another pitcher on the Pawtucket staff, saying that Wyland had started throwing that curveball almost as a backdoor pitch to lefties. Maybe that's the, the pitch to get lefties that he needs, I don't know, um, but... You know, we'll get into later how the Red Sox have to clear some room on the 40-man. I think Weiland might be a guy who could go in a trade if they need to add a piece. But, um, again, my opinion. Uh, so we've hit on some guys who've had good seasons. Let's get to a couple who've been a little bit disappointing. Uh, two guys this month have been, uh, or I guess it, it's kind of grown since then, but two major guys who've been demoted this month have been Michael Almanzar and Stolme Pimentel. Uh tale of two different players, I guess. Almanzar, for the most part, Uh, I've been on record in this podcast of what I think of him. I think the Red Sox wasted a million and a half dollars on a guy who's never going to get above high A. Um, He started the year in Salem almost needing a change of scenery after two plus seasons in Greenville, and lo and behold, he didn't hit at all. Uh, He hit, uh, if I can bring this up real quick, uh, what he did in, in Salem, he was Oh it's right at the bottom of the list there we go uh one eighty two average two twenty three on base percentage two forty five slugging for a robust four sixty nine o p s uh he's been a massive disappointment he's basically a first first baseman at this point uh, is it am i going too far in saying that he's a waste of a million and a half dollars or is there still hope for michael almanzar
2: i mean, i don't know if i'd i don't know if i'd use the word waste of a a million and a half dollars, because it's always, I mean, you take chances, right? Guys don't pan out, and, and the Red Sox can afford to throw money. But it has been disappointing. Uh, you know, his career has been, his career progression has been disappointing within the system. I think, I think for us as a, as, as a website, I I know, I think we've discussed this in the past before he was, he was a valuable lesson for us when, you know, when, I remember when he started off really well in the Gulf Coast League and we were getting some good reports, he moved way up the rankings and then he got to Greenville and it just kind of fell apart for him. He was demoted to Lowell back to Greenville, you know, you know, back to up to Salem, demoted to Greenville. He's been demoted twice in his career, so he was a valuable lesson for us, just looking at players, you know, trying to project, and for me, you know, I, I felt that that was, it was pretty valuable for me in terms of what I do here for the website, but it's just, I hate to say it, but it's like he just doesn't take to ins- doesn't take instructions well and he and he and he just reverts back to old habits you know a couple games in a row he he's kind of doing what it seems like he should be doing and then and then it just backs off for for a, a stretch of games and it, and he doesn't kind of just just look stuck in neutral or even going backwards for the last three seasons
0: hmm. rookies either you got uh, any thoughts on almonds are I mean, I remember in the GCL, we were trying to figure out what nickname we were going to give him. It, it makes me mad because I want to do that with Xander Bogarts because there's so much potential there for great nicknames, and I, I'm afraid to because I'm afraid I'm going to jinx him like we did with uh, Almanzar.
4: Yeah, and I guess to that point, it is a lesson with the young, tools, you guys that you don't really know what you have. You know the potential's there, but it's not always going to pan out, and obviously there are going to be differences between one guy and another, but makes it... Makes it very smart to temper expectations with situations like Bogarts and Henry Ramos, who are there, and you can see the potentials there. But it's just a matter of them getting it done.
3: Yeah, just on that, there's I mean, there's a reason they're called prospects and not sure bets. So you gotta, I mean, for every yeah, player that turns out, um, there's a Michael Almanzar who looks like isn't going to turn out. So,
0: yeah. you know what I wonder is if the, the these these new leagues. I know we asked Eddie Romero in, in John Singer's interview with him about the Dominican Prospect League. And there's also the International Prospect League and there's one more that I, I can't remember the name. But you know, seeing these guys play games as opposed to just workouts, does that prevent a, maybe not prevent, but perhaps save teams from maybe investing too much into Michael Almanzar? I, I remember hearing a story that when he came to the system and he was in an extended spring training, he uh when he was in extended spring training, he got to first base and just walked off of first base because he didn't know he wasn't supposed to he thought he was supposed to just go away. He didn't realize he had to then run the bases because he just hadn't really learned how to play the game yet. You know, are we going to see less of that maybe? Maybe that's not even a factor here. Maybe it's just the kid's not coachable. I don't know. But it's an interesting situation. Um, opposite of that, based on what we're hearing, a guy who's really working hard and is not seeing results so far this year, stole me Pimentel. Uh, basically went to Portland and he ran up a nice record of 0-9. Uh, it just hasn't been there for him, for one of the guys who many of us thought was kind of a, a rising star in the system, perhaps a future uh, future number one pitching prospect in the system type. Uh, what's gone wrong with him? Where, where, why is he all of a sudden going from maybe a little bit inconsistent to just unable to get through two innings and a start? Uh, I know the Portland bullpen basically was supremely taxed, In the past month, almost because of the fact that Pimentel couldn't last more than two or three innings, although at one point it became a plan to get him shorter starts of two innings or three innings to build his confidence back up before going to kind of the uh, nuclear option of demoting him that we finally had to go to. Uh, what's, What's the deal with him, guys, and is he a lost cause, or is this something where maybe he can rebound next year? Who's seen him? Ian, have you seen him at all?
3: Poor I have not seen him this year. No. I've just heard, heard, just heard reports, and um, they're kind of calling it a mulligan year. I mean, he's just – he's. I guess the velocity has been there from what I've heard. It's just he can't command anything, and he's just not missing bats like he was last year. I think he has 30 strikeouts on the whole season in sixty close to 60 innings, which is a, uh, a big drop-off from last year. Yeah, 30 in 50 innings compared to last year where he had 100 and – two in 120 innings so he's just not missing as many bats and you know it's definitely someone you don't give up on but uh he definitely needs to work on some things down in uh Salem and rebuild his confidence
2: yeah, it's been it's been the command for him overall of his entire arsenal I know I actually saw his best start of the season in Manchester and and it was like last year when you saw him Chris when when you saw that really good start yep. out of him he is he looked phenomenal you know it was the fastball command was there. There was some nice. There was really nice late finish on his fastball that I hadn't seen when he was in Lowell back when he was 18. You know, it was really cutting down through the zone at 93, 94 miles an hour, touching up to 95. Uh, X ex- the the changeup. Uh, you know, one one scout comment was that that pitch is unhittable right now. You know, that, that's an unhittable pitch. You don't really, you don't usually hear that. You know, that, that was some of the chatter at the game. That that pitch was you just no one was hitting it. Swings and misses, and he threw a. You know, he wasn't throwing his curveball that great, but he threw some really, really, really good curveballs that showed the plus potential. But since that start, if you look, that was in Manchester back in May. It's been an absolute disaster where he's just, his delivery's been off. Every single piece of his game has been off. He just hasn't been able to get any type of rhythm going or anything together. And I think if you look in hindsight, I know last year with Casey Kelly, we said, well, you know, if the Red Sox kept him back at Salem and he put up great stats, you know, what would that have done and and they did the right thing with him by putting him in double A and he and Casey Kelly struggled but he didn't get lit up and absolutely demoralized like this you know it was a little bit different and and maybe maybe in you know hindsight this is one case when I could see like possibly you know maybe Pimentel should have stayed back in Salem despite what he did for the full season you know maybe maybe that was the right course but I you know you can't. You got to throw sometimes the guys up into the fire to see to see what they got in terms of you know how well they can adjust and and where their stuff's at and right now his stuff's just not there for a double A pitcher. Yeah,
0: you know it's funny. We know he, uh, I think it was Alex Speer the other day who compared him to Felix Dubrant, who one season started in Greenville and had to get sent back to Lowell, essentially put on the DL and sent back to Lowell. Is it Dubrant? That uh, that that happened with it. Yeah. I know yeah. It men- that happened to Roman Mendez as well. Yeah. Uh, so detect- sometimes this happens just lower down the ladder. To me, I think I think a better comp perhaps is Clay Buckholz, um, because the issue with Buckholz, he dominated so much coming up the ladder with his changeup and curveball that it didn't really matter that sometimes he missed with his fastball. Well, he got to the majors and. You know, major league hitters just didn't miss that pitch when it was out over the plate the way that sometimes AAA hitters or Double A hitters even would. I think what might have caught up with Stomey a little bit this year is just maybe that fastball command where he could have gotten away with some things in Salem last year, both at Salem's home ballpark, maybe with some weaker hitters than Double A hitters. He's not getting away with those this year, and it kind of snowballed. Uh, I actually saw him in Manchester recently as well. I saw an inconsistent curveball. Sometimes it was very good. Sometimes it, it kind of flattened out, didn't really get on top of it. Um, fastball, he was kind of missing some spots with it, the up. A couple of good ones, but again, missed with some spots. Uh, you know, he's, had, he's given up 75 hits in 50.1 innings uh, in, in Portland this year. He was inconsistent last year, but that's a lot worse than he did then. Uh, let's let's move on to some other topics. Uh, first, we we asked on Twitter for uh, some questions, some questions from our our you know our followers on Twitter. Said we'd get to them, and we actually we got a bit of a uh, call it a celebrity question, I guess, Chris. I don't know if you want to. I'll let you t- tell tell us what the uh, what the question is and who it's from.
2: We got a question from one of our. One of our readers and you know loyal loyal followers, John Berman, from over at ABC News. You can find him at, at John S. Berman on Twitter, all one word. And John's an avid Red Sox fan. Big he, Sox uh, fan. Big Sox fan. You know he, he wrote an interesting piece on frequently asked questions on Derek Jeter's pursuit for three thousand hits. He's yeah. definitely he's definitely got a great sense of humor, and he's and he's very interested in Red Sox prospects. So he asked, he sent in this question. He asked, so Kendrick Perkins, drafted last season, is now in the GCL. That feels like 100 years from the big leagues. Who was the last Red Sox draftee to play a year in the GCL and still make the big leagues? And I stressed the word year. So he's asking, who's played a year in the GCL and still made the big leagues? Simple question. Simple question. You would think it would have a simple answer. You would.
0: It doesn't. (laughs) It really (laughs) really doesn't. It's funny, looking at this research, I was kind of stunned. Because, you know, you can go back using, uh, you know, both our site, uh, Baseball Reference, also a good tool. So going back, and note that the language used by John, he says draftee. So this doesn't include, you know, international players, because a decent number of international players go to the GCL to start their American careers. But um, so going back and looking at just the draftees, you see Anthony Rizzo in two thousand seven, twenty four plate appearances doesn't really count. Ryan Kalish two thousand six, twenty one plate appearances. Yeah. Um, should note that our our Hennis Diaz uh, had one hundred forty two plate appearances for that team in oh six, and Felix Dubront had eleven starts for that team in oh six. I believe that was the team that actually won the GCL championship. No, I believe
2: it was. Yeah, it was. Yeah,
0: it was. So, but not know, draftees. But those weren't but draftees. Not drafted. They weren't draftees. They were the last GCL players, I guess you would say. Full season, they stayed the full year down there.
2: Let me let, uh, let me throw a name, a quick name that came to my head that I thought right off the bat. Well, maybe he was down the GCL for a, a little while on pitch, mm-hmm. John Lester, mm-hmm. two thirds, two thirds of an inning in the G, GCL. Two thirds. That's all. General. Yep, two thirds of an inning.
0: And and then uh, an inning two years later when what must have been re- rehab. Right. But he only needed an inning. <laughs> Um, but some other guys uh, in 2005, Michael Bowden and Craig Hansen pitched six games combined and it, like a few innings, nothing. You mentioned Lester, Harvey Garcia in 2003 pitched nine games, but again, that's that's a uh, you know that's an international signee. So and it, even though he was one of the key cogs in the uh, was that that was the Beckett trade. So the big answer, drum roll please, 2002. Which would have been pre-Theo Epstein, Dusty Brown, and Brandon Moss, on a team that also included Hanley Ramirez, were down in the GCL for almost all season. Dusty Brown actually got some playing time up in Lowell that year, too. He'd been, but he'd been in the GCL the previous year as well. But you have to go all the way back to 2002 to find a draftee that was in the GCL for a full season and made the majors
2: unbelievable that's what,
0: I was really really surprised by that
2: I was stunned actually yeah. I was stunned to find that out and there are some guys who have been decent prospects that have been down
0: there and I, I should mention that on that team Luis Mendoza was also on that team um for the full season so but he again he was an international guy but I mean
2: does this not bode well would you say Chris for well I don't you know it, the drafting philosophy's been a little bit different and you know, Perkins is he was a two sport player, more of a one sport player towards football. So he's 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 a little bit of a different case, right? Than say someone who's got a lot of baseball experience, like let's say Sean Coyle and he gets drafted and he goes right to Greenville. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't even need to go to you know, he doesn't even go to Lowell. So with Perkins he's he's gotta stay back, he's he's raw. So I'm not sure well I guess you know all the odds are stacked stacked against minor league baseball players to begin with but it is I mean I was shocked to find out that the last drafted player by the Red Sox that spent a full year in the GCL and made the big leagues was back in 2002 and it was Dusty Brown and Brandon Moss so yeah.
0: and it it's funny look just looking at guys who might still be in the system who were drafted that are decent prospects at least that have gotten a lot of time down there I mean you've got Derek Gibson um in 08 but he split that year between there and Ole, I think. Um, Ray, Frente, Ray Fuentes in '09 was down there for a full year. Yeah, he that, was. That, that, was
2: that after he signed? He signed early, though, I think.
0: Yeah, he signed early, so we can call that a full year. Yeah. Um, Carson Blair was down there, but he's still in A-ball. Um, they pitchers that year. No, there he's gone, he's gone... Kyle Stroop, yeah, and 12, so it's, 12 appearances, mm-hmm. 24 innings. So, so it's, uh, 9. Um, 2010. Nuke Yoder retired. Thompson still, yeah. Trick Danforth retired. Henry Ramos. He was down there, yeah. Yeah, Henry Ramos. So, so there are some guys. It's not necessarily a death knell, but it's just very, very interesting. And I think that that speaks more. The fact that Ramos was down there, the fact that Perkins is down there now, I think speaks to the fact that they're drafting more raw guys who really need more, you know, structured learning environment than what maybe Lowell or Greenville might provide. But still, interesting thought. Thanks to John Berman for the question. That's uh, good for us to look at. And uh, it's certainly an excellent question. So anyway, moving along. Coming up, of course, we've got the trade deadline. Uh, becoming a big topic of conversation, seeing some guys rumored to go to the Sox, some guys who uh, are rumored to go from the Sox. We've already seen some dominoes start to fall with Mike Cameron gone. Uh, needs, I, I know the needs that everyone seems to be talking about are right field, where the Red Sox just really haven't gotten any production out of J.D. Drew or the dearly departed Mike Cameron or even Darnell McDonald this year. Um, is the answer here already in Josh Reddick? Is it elsewhere? Uh, or do they need to go get someone if they do who are guys who might be traded? Uh, another spot where we're seeing they might need someone as the starting pitching if, say, a J- Clay Buchholz or a John Lester is out longer than expected. It seems like Lester, there's a light at the end of the tunnel for him where he'll be coming back relatively soon, but uh, Clay Buchholz, you never know with a back. Anyone who's had back problems knows those things can persist. Um, what do you guys see as the biggest need for the Sox and may- maybe one or two guys who you think uh, could be on the block as potential trade chips? I guess we'll start with Mioli because you didn't really uh, have anything on that pimental discussion. I'd look at that uh, Portland team.
4: You know, mm-hmm. you got guys like Alex Wilson and Middlebrooks who have good reports. I mean, if we're going to go out and get a top guy that's going to contribute to a pennant race this year, you have to look at you know top prospects that other teams are going to want to have. We can't just throw together a bunch of four A players and a couple low minors and go out and expect to you know wow everybody with these offers. You're going to have to give away the guys that are. Producing this year, and Wilson's had a great season. He'll probably find himself at Pawtucket before the before the trade deadline, and if he can keep up what he's doing, I think he could really have some value.
0: You no, know, I think it's I think it's an interesting point with Wilson. Something I just thought of. It seems sometimes when we see a guy who looks like he's just begging for a promotion, it doesn't really get it. I remember Chris McGinnis last year. It, or was it last year that they traded Chris McGinnis? Yeah. It just yep. seemed like it was so obvious that they were leaving him in Greenville to pump up his stats for a trade, that it just seemed... I wonder if that might be what's happening with Alex Wilson. Yes. We were hearing...
2: No, I'm going to... I, I'm not... On that point about stats, you know, pumping up stats, mm-hmm. and, and I'm not blowing, blowing you up or anything like that, but I... No, I, that, or, that, or even yeah. performance. That doesn't really... In terms of trades, they're not looking... That's not what the organizations are really looking at. They're not... They're not worrying about. It. They don't. They won't look at stats or performance or everything like that. You know, when I talk, when I talk to some of the other organizations out there, they tell me that what they'll do is they'll throw four, four to six eyes on these guys for reports on, on players they're interested in when they put these lists together. And some of the guys see them on good days, and some of the guys see them on bad days, and they want to see all that. And when they put their reports together, and if you know, if if Oscar Tahit is hitting two forty in Double with with the stat line that's not going to have really any effect on his trade value what what's affecting would what affect his trade value is is whether people are not people think that he's going to be an everyday major leaguer mm-hmm. so sometimes when i hear that is um, i don't hear that back from you know I, at least organizers don't admit that they 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 care they don't care about the stat lines like they would want to see they want guys who are going to fit into their organization and fill needs within their system and also project to be Major League Baseball players.
0: Uh, just to clarify, when you say four to six eyes, are you saying two to three people, or are you saying four to six sets of eyes?
2: Sorry, four to six sets set of eyes.
0: <laughs> just making sure, just making yep. sure. four to six sets of eyes.
2: Twelve eyes.
0: Twelve eyes, okay. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, how about, uh, who, uh, you know, scouts, tell me what, what players do you think might get moved? Uh, for the Sox, and what what do you think might be a reasonable return, Ian? How about you? Um,
3: I mean, guys like Chase Lin, Um, people who are blocked. Um, is one thing to look at. Um, you know, Lars Anderson, obviously. Um, he's been he's kind of blocked at first base and DH. And but we don't I don't know how much value he has anymore. He's someone to look at. Um, as I mentioned, Chase Lin. Um, other guys off the Lowell, uh, Lowell, Lowell Portland roster. Um, you got Stephen Fife, Alex Wilson. There's the kind of guys that uh, we don't know what they are right now. I mean, they might be starters, they might be relievers, but they could probably have a better chance of starting with the the t- clubs the Red Sox would be trading with. Um, and you know, with trading guys like that, um, obviously you're not trading the top prospects like Middlebrooks, but I think still think you get someone like a Ryan Ludwig or a Josh Willingham in return. You know, a right-handed bat to uh, compliment Reddick, Drew, or whoever wins that right field job right now.
0: Does Lars strike you guys as a, as a player who could probably use a, maybe not a change of scenery necessarily, but maybe some t- different perspective on coaching or something? He just he seems to be just be stalling out to me.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. You know, I, as Ian said, the, you know look look at positions of surplus and where guys are ca- kind of blocked. You know, the Red Sox trade when they tr- make trades, they trade from positions of surplus. You know, and they trade with organizations that have a need for where they have surplus. So that that's what you kind of you know try to if you're trying to try to think about who's going to move you know look who's behind him, who's in front of him. and and with um, Anderson who's in front of him Adrian Gonzalez over at D you know you got potential David Ortiz Kevin Yucalus potentially a DH in a couple seasons so Anderson's future with the organization seems blocked and and, and it really all uh, it matters who likes him and who 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 wants to you know what's his value you know as a second or third piece in a trade he might be like the piece that goes over. You know, with a Middlebrooks or or a Jose Iglesias or a Renato type prospect. If I'm not saying they're going to trade those guys, but Anderson would be in support of you know the, the upper tier prospects you know in the organization right now.
0: Yeah, you got to be realistic about these guys' value. I, I just passed this along on Sports Talk Radio today. This is why I can't really listen to Sports Talk Radio that often. But heard a guy call in and suggest that the Red Sox trade David Ortiz and Lars Anderson for. um uh, Albert Pujols and a minor leaguer, and uh, of course he was summarily laughed off the show. But uh, yeah, that's not happening. You know, like you said, he's a support piece.
1: Um, right. uh,
0: personally, uh, you know, I mentioned Kyle Wyland. I think he might be a guy that moves. Lynn, uh, Ian mentioned, is another guy who I think might move. And I think when we get to some of these guys in the 40-man discussion, I could see them maybe being thrown in. I think it depends what the Red Sox get back too. Um, you look at the Adrian Gonzalez trade; that blocked Anthony Rizzo. So Rizzo was a guy who easily fit into the Red Sox plans before he was traded, but once they got Gonzalez, eh, maybe not so much. You know, if you get a guy who next year could be the fourth outfielder or maybe a platoon at right fielder that makes a guy like Lynn a little more expendable, perhaps some of these guys in double a Hazel Baker or a Hassan, uh, something like that. Uh, you know, you have to look on what's coming in return. If it's a starting pitcher... Maybe, you know, a Fife goes, a Stephen Fife or or someone like that. So something else to keep in mind. I think um, also, I'm sorry, also look yeah. at
2: the, um look at past trades that the that the Red Sox have made. You know, okay, so the Victor Martinez trade, Mar- Martinez is an everyday, you'd call him, you know, an everyday, he, wa- he was ab- above average for the catching position in terms of his offense. You know, his defense sure, at was... At the time, definitely. Right. At the time, he was an above average, everyday Major League Baseball player, you know, and, and he what what you know and what did he have one more year left on his deal or was it an option that he went into that season? <sighs>
0: he had one more year left on the deal. Uh, okay, it was the rest of that season and the following one. He
2: was up. pretty affordable in his contract. He had one more deal, one more year left on his deal. So the Red Sox knew they were going to have him the next season. They gave up Justin Masterson, who was a you know a ceiling of a third starter and a and a pro, you know projected as a bullpen arm. They gave up a B plus prospect in Nick Hagadone. And they gave up more of like a B minus, C plus ish prospect in Brian Price. So if they're gonna go out and get themselves an above average major league regular, who's someone who can be like a future in right field or maybe on a deal next year, and he's a you know let's just say that the player's solid average to above average, you can expect a package like that to get someone back. You know you at you look at the um you look at the Salto Lamarckia trade. He the Red Sox saw Salto Lamarckia as a starting catcher. Um, or, at least, a platoon catcher. The Rangers had their doubts about Salt LaMakia, so they were wi- more than willing to give him up because they had a surplus. It took Roman Mendez, who was about, what would you say, Mendez? Was he in a B, B minus prospect?
3: Probably a B minus because he was Probably just so far away. A B minus,
2: yep. An organizational player, and Chris, and, you know, an org, an org guy, Chris McGinnis, and a P player to be named later. So and I think Salt LaMakia to get. Him as much as uncertain he was. That was a price, you know. The Red Sox did pay a price in talent. So to get even, like a, as as Ian said, maybe a, a Ryan Ludwig or, or someone who you might not think is a top tier player, they're a major leaguer, so they're going to cost. You know, a, a Ludwig may cost you someone like Lynn. And I'm just throwing out. You know, Lynn. Maybe it'll be. Wy- maybe it would be Wylan w- with Fife and a and a player to be named later. I'm just saying. You know, I'm just throwing out names that don't don't think that. These guys are, you know, don't think it's going to take like a couple of a ballers, as Ian said, and some, as John Mio said, and a couple fringe guys. You know, the, the Red Sox do pay a price for, for getting these guys on the roster.
0: For sure, for sure. All right, well, I mean, looking at the getting guys on the roster, uh, we might as well move on at this point to our 40-man discussion. Uh, at present, the Red Sox 40-man roster is full. Um, in the off-season, uh, players will be coming off because of free agency it will be. Tim Wakefield, Jason Veritek, Jonathan Papelbon, JD Drew, and there's an option on Dan Wheeler that will v- it vests if he makes sixty-five appearances. I don't think he's gonna get there. Uh he's at twenty-five right now, I think. Uh, although he could get there if he keeps pitching the way he has since he came off the DL. Um, but otherwise it's a club option. Uh there's a mutual option for Marco Scudero. Uh it's a club option for six million and then a player option for three possibility neither of those gets uh gets exercised we'll see um and then there's a few guys going to arbitration uh Andrew Miller also has a, a club option and that you've got to think almost certainly gets picked up uh so you've got maybe what are, what are five spots opening up next season when we say that's fair guys oh I didn't mention Ortiz did I David Ortiz is a free agent um
2: let's assume he's coming back
0: well we can assume I think he's coming back at this point I do at least um that's a Discussion for another time. But say five spots open up. Um, one of those spots, Wakefield, that's probably going to a bullpen arm. Veritex, a catcher. you got to fill that spot. Um, if Ortiz doesn't come back, I don't know if they're going to fill the starting DH job internally. That's my feeling. Um, J.D. Drew, I think that spot does open up. I think they at least look internally or they'll go with someone they already have, Whether if they make a trade at the deadline, especially uh Papelbon up in the air whether he comes back or not so let's say four spots open we've got a list of at least four guys who must we think are certainly going to be added to the 40-man roster and we've got a list of six to uh, 11 guys that are maybes to be added to the 40-man roster this is what you call a roster log jam folks uh Certainly a good problem to have because you've got a lot of guys and you've got a lot of guys who maybe could have value as trade chips, but at the same time you've got to do something with these guys. So we're just going to go down the list. Uh, I guess I'll just get one of you guys to talk about each of them and if anyone has something else to add they can hop on. But uh, Kyle Wyland was recently added because of his start that made the roster uh, top out at 40. We've talked a bit about LeVarnway. I, I think he's a certainty to get added. I think he comes up in September I think he might be a candidate for a bench position. Um Will Middlebrooks, I guess we'll go with uh go with uh, Chris on this one. Chris, tell us about Middlebrooks, why you think he's a certainty to get added to the roster and uh maybe is he a trade
1: chip?
2: Um well, unless I mean, I think everybody at this I think everybody right now is a trade chip in the system. You know, I don't think there's I don't think in the I think in the right deal anybody's touchable. Let's say there are no untouchables. I do not think I really do not think I d I really don't think I don't think any organization can really go in with that with that opinion unless they are a small market team looking to really build the core of their lineup from you know cheap cheap players. This is the Red Sox, everybody's touchable. Mm-hmm. So Middlebrook's he could get dealt and this could be a mood point at the deadline, but let's say he's still with the organization. Yeah, he does he's gotta be on the forty minute because you know other organization a small a small smaller team could you know Pittsburgh or Kansas City or San Diego they can still they could take a chance on him and be willing to give him a roster spot for the whole season and and try to keep him or play the DL game or whatever so i think he's a sure bet to go on the 40 man roster if he's still here in the off season
0: all right um next on my list that i have is uh Shay Swan Lin I know, Ian, you were talking about him before we uh, started recording. Why don't you hit on him a little bit?
3: Yeah, I mean, as we know, he's a great defensive center fielder, um, and he's got some speed, and right there is a bench player at the very least. Um, I don't know if he can start for the Red Sox or ever will, but um, there are other teams, as Mellon mentioned, Kansas City, um, you know, San Diego teams like that that why not take a flyer on him, see if he can stick as a fourth outfielder, especially in the National League. He'll have more value there, I think. So uh, he's definitely got to be added, or he's going to be gone probably. Mm
0: -hmm. All right. Uh, So so hold on. You think he's going to be gone? Is a trade, or...?
3: I, no, I said I think he's going to be added or be he will on. be gone. Okay, yeah, sorry. They, they have to add him or he'll <laughs> take taken. Sorry.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, sorry about that. Um, and then, uh, Mioli, I guess I'll give you Tim Fedorovich. What are your thoughts on him as far as being added to the 40 and maybe his future within the organization?
4: Well, I think the second part is the key there. I mean, if you think he has a future in the organization, you have to add him. You know, he's out of the upper-level minor league catchers. He's the one with the best defensive skill set. And if you want to have him in the organization – you're going to have to add him because just with his defense alone, he could probably—he's another one of those guys that could catch on in a smaller market team without the, uh, you know, even without the stick. So, if the Red Sox think that he's someone who can be a part of a platoon in the future going forward, whether it's with Levarne Way, with another catcher, then he has to get added.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I agree with you on that, and to me, I think an important part of that is the way the Red Sox value their minor league catchers. I mean, this is a position that went from being a complete weakness to to one people saw as a strength to now one that people think is a weakness again. And it's just, it's a weird situation with the Red Sox. One player that's on the 40 is Luis Exposito. Uh, Personally, I think he's a candidate to perhaps get removed from the 40 man if they need room in the, if the Red Sox need room in the off season. And I think he would pass through waivers. Um, Just having kind of a strange season in Pawtucket. We had one, one question from a, from a, on Twitter user, if I can get to it. Um, yeah, Rich Fortier, ass FedEx seems to have had a reasonable season in Portland, and Expo's not getting it done in Pawtucket. Why not swap them? I don't think he's necessarily going to delete Exposito. i mean sorry, not delete, demote Exposito for the season he's had. But uh, you know, I, I think as far as the forty man goes, I, I could see them swapping FedEx on and Exposito off. Does that sound fair to you guys?
2: Yeah, I think that's fair, and I'll, I'll throw it just a, a small nugget on Federercha one organization's cross checker who's gone through the whole minor leagues for the whole the whole I guess the whole eastern portion of the country for the minor leagues said that Fedor was the best catcher that he's seen you know this season in inter- uh, defensively the best defensive catcher he's seen in the of the players that he's he's checked out on this season so that's where his defensive skills are so I think definitely that you know he could def uh, the reason why, I mean he could definitely be I mean I think if LeVarn, if the 40-man roster is full and LaVarnway goes up for a September call-up, does Exposito get DFA'd in September? You know, you, know, you wonder, wonder, right? Because that would make Levarnway the third catcher. So, I mean, there really need...
0: isn't too much else on there that could be... Ex- I mean, the minor leaguers on the 40-man roster right now are Oscar Tejeda, Stomy Pimentel, Luis Exposito, Lars Anderson, Kay- Ryan Kalish uh Jose Iglesias
2: cuz usually I mean usually Felix in usually in theory they have three what three four catchers Tommy on the, They have three four catchers on the 40 man roster and then they yeah. usually the third catcher gets bumped up to the 40 man roster during September so it's usually the two the two the start of the backup and then the third catcher well this mm-hmm. if we're thinking Levanway is going to be bumped up then that makes him the third catcher but he's not on the 40 man yeah. roster so something's going to have to I know it's a long way till September and spots open up, but that's something to think about.
0: Yeah. And I think I could easily see Fedorovich being the number three catcher entering next season and being the first yeah. guy they call up from the taxi squad. Um, all right, we're going to move along. I think, do we agree that all four of those guys are definitely, does definitely getting added? Does anyone have any disagreement as long as they're in the organization?
2: No, yeah, exactly. yeah. as long as yep, they're we're here. We're all agree. Yep. Right. Yeah, okay.
0: Traded, looking though. at some maybes, we'll just mm-hmm. hit on them real quick. Um, I could get some quick yeses and nos, and then I'll I'll pick one person to say why. Um, we'll still we'll go. Uh, the order will be Mellon, Ian, and John. Um, just tell me yes, no. Does this person get added to the forty man in the off season? Then I'll pick one of you to explain your answer. Uh, Drake Britton, Mellon.
2: No, no. I don't think he gets added to the forty man roster. He's, I don't think he can stick with an organization unless there's a huge mass. You know, t- tradings of guys f- in front who ne- who we feel need to go on the forty man roster. I think I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that he g- he's going to be in double A to start next season. And they typically the forty man guys typically all all start out in double A. So I'm going to say no. All
0: right, Ian, and then John, just a quick yes no.
2: No, I agree.
3: Yeah, with no. Everything you said.
0: All right, I, I agree, and I think he's played himself off of the 40-man. I think coming into the season, he was a guy that might have been with that first group, but just with the season he's had, if you're wondering our thoughts on Britain, we've hit on him in past podcasts, so head over to the podcasts page if you don't have those past ones and, and check those out. Um, a player that got picked this past year, and again, I'll just ask you guys a quick yes-no, and then I'll pick one of you to, to give some extra thoughts like Chris did. Uh, Cesar Cabral, what do we think, yes or no?
2: Picked or added? I'm sorry. Picked is this picked or added? Added, right? Added, added. Yeah. yep I think he's. I don't think he's going to be added.
3: I just think with the jam, I'll agree he won't be added, but I think he will get picked.
4: Mm-hmm. John. Yeah, I'm the same. I don't think he'll be added, but he'll probably get picked again.
0: Yeah, I don't think he's going to be added. I saw him pick. Uh, saw him in Manchester when I was there, and uh, with a friend of the site, and it wasn't uh, a friend of the site who we know ha- happens to be uh, a Cabral fan and. Brawl just didn't look all that great that particular outing. I think he's still kind of hit or miss. Although I think a team will take a chance on him. He's a lefty. I don't think he gets added. Um, Ronaldo Rodriguez. Yes, no. Added.
2: I guess I'm I mean, if Anderson. uh, I'll say yes.
3: Uh, I'm going to say yes also. Replacing Lars on the 40-man.
0: Do you think it's conditional on Lars getting... Sorry. Actually, let's go. Uh, John, what do you think? And then I'll... Press you a little bit more on that, Ian.
4: Well, I was going to say no, just because I don't know where you put him at this point. If space is open up, then he's one of the first guys from the second level that might get added. But the way things stand now, I'm not sure he does.
0: Yeah, I don't think he gets added, but I, I think what you had to say was pretty interesting, Ian. Why don't you give us a little more on that? Do you th- think, does Lars have to go in order to add Rodriguez?
3: Uh, yeah, I, I think so. Because, um, I mean, as we talked about earlier, first base is pretty set. And DH, assuming Ortiz is re-signed, there's not a place there. So, uh, but they're going to need a first baseman in Pawtucket, and at this point Lars will, i could foresee a trade with him, and that opens up Rodriguez and just straight swap on the roster
0: i, I don't think they add him, but I, this reminds me a lot of Ho- of uh, Jorge Jimenez. I, I could see him getting picked and perhaps getting returned i, I don 't think he sticks on a twenty five man I think the Red Sox take that chance <laughs> uh Stephen Fife added or not, having a good year in in Portland. <sighs>
2: That's another. See, this is this is a logjam. Yeah. This is the logjam. Ten and three record, three fifty nine ERA. Yes, fastball's been looking. He's been Ian. Ian and I saw him. and He's been commanding the ball a lot better. His fastball's been down on the zone. Seventy one <sighs> batting average again. He's the guy I think that they move, but I'm. I, I think he's he's in a deal. He's in a bigger deal. You know, as a, as a secondary or third piece in a deal. So I'm going to say, if he's in the organization at the end of the season, he does not get added.
3: Uh, I agree with Chris. I just don't think they have the roster spot to use on Fife. And I, I don't know if – I mean, he might be able to stick as a reliever right now. But um, don't think they'll add him.
4: Yeah, he's another one of those guys that you'd hate to see go, but that's a chance you're going to have to take the way the 40-man shaping up.
0: Mm-hmm. I agree. I th- I, to me, with Fife, it depends on what he does the rest of the year. Uh, I think he can play his way on to the 40. That's assuming he sticks around. Um, I, I think we all agreed when we had that talk in in, in Lowell recently, Chris, me, Chris, Ian, and, and Mike. Um, John, of course, was in a completely different area of the country and, of course, was not there. But uh, I think we all kind of agreed that Fife was a guy who was very likely to move at the trade deadline just for that reason. Um, he's probably, He might be worth a 40-man spot, and I think he might be able to stick for at least part of the year and then maybe do the old uh, um, uh, Adam Stern DL stint to get off some of that time on, on the 25-man. But um, I think he could play his way onto a 40-man spot, actually, if he if he really goes off uh, the rest of the season and improves. But uh, So I'd say yes, no, depending on what he does. Chi-Sin um, Chang, a guy who recently played in the Futures game, we've recently found out apparently he's diabetic, and the reason he's been hitting so much better this year is in part because he's been managing it better. Um, I recently interviewed him. It was an interesting experience through a translator. What do we think, Chi Sin Chang? One of the best hitters in Double A. Does he stick on the, or is he added to the forty man in this off season?
2: I'm gonna say no. I, I know they, they're. well, no, Drew. Come. I'm gonna say no.
3: Yeah, I'm gonna no. say no. I'm gonna say no. Also, I'm. You got Reddick and Kalish, just left-handed hitting outfielders ahead of him, so I just don't think there's a spot.
4: Yeah, I wish no. I could.
0: I wish I could dissent, but I don't think I can on this one either. Yeah,
3: I think I'm with you guys. There's
0: just no room for what he brings defensively. Um, a guy who was uh, who was eligible for the Rule Five Draft last year. I think a bunch of us were surprised when he wasn't added, but uh, he didn't get picked. He stuck around and he's had a decent year in AAA. Jason Rice. Does he get added to the 40-man roster?
2: Oh, another, another. This is another difficult one. We, Ian, you and I saw Rice in Pawtucket. He 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 was similar to what he was last year. You know, his fastball velocity was good, and but he struggles with his command. He throws a ton of pitches to get out, and he kind of skates through innings. I'm going to say that he doesn't get added, and that someone, but I, I think someone's going to take a flyer on him.
3: Yeah, I think kind of said something when they didn't add him last year. Um, so I just don't think if they didn't add him last year, I don't think they'll add him again this year.
4: Yeah, it was kind of surprising. He wasn't wasn't added last year, but as Chris said, he does throw a lot of pitches. When he does miss, he misses up, so it's not way up. Not it's not you know, it's not even hittable, But I still don't think that there's a spot for him.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah, I think I'm with you guys. He reminds me a lot of Beau Vaughn, uh, a guy who, let's say, he was pretty much going to be taken in the Rule Five draft, but the Red Sox were okay with that because they just didn't want to waste the 40 man spot on him. Um, I think the fact that he hasn't gotten a chance in in Boston yet and he's been passed by guys like Tommy Hodovey, perhaps you know Rich Hill will come back healthy next year. Does he come back to Boston? Uh, I I just think as far as relief pitching goes, I don't think you use a spot on a guy like Jason Rice. Um, And I guess for this last group we have, I'll just say all five that we have here, and you guys can pick one or two guys from that group that you want to talk about and whether you think they'll get added or not. Um, We've got a group that's kind of the secondary maybe group of Miguel Celestino, Ryan Presley, Eamon Portish, uh, Caleb Clay, and Manny Rivera. Some guys in double A and some A-ball guys who, you know, maybe they can stick as a bullpen arm. Some have had some success. Some have better stuff than others. What do you guys think? Let's go in in reverse order this time. Uh, John Mioli, anyone out of that group that kind of piques your interest as a potential either 40-man addition or Rule 5 pick?
4: I'm not sure any of those jump over any we've talked about previously, but... It's interesting that Clay is even in the discussion, given kind of the way he's pitched since coming back from Tommy John. I understand he's had one bad start recently that kind of sabotaged his stats, but there had to be something there that made the Red Sox take him so high. I heard he changed his arm slot. He could be someone that you know teams get tempted to take just to see what's there. But out of the rest of them, he's
3: really the only one that's interesting to me.
0: Yeah, former supplemental round pick. It's an interesting thought, um, Ian. What do you think?
3: Um, I, I gotta agree with John there. I just if they're not gonna pass the guys um, we've already mentioned, and um, with the logjam, I just I can't see any of them being added. Um, most interesting guy to me uh, is probably Ryan Presley, um, which uh, is, I think Chris yeah. gets better touch on this. But we've got some good reports on him, so uh, I'll, actually, I'll pass you. I'll pass I'm gonna pass it off to Chris, and he can uh, discuss, explain him.
2: All right, Mellon, talk to us about Presley. All right, I'll talk. I'll talk about three of those guys: Presley, Celestino, and Clay. Presley, first off, he's always been a guy that's kind of flown under the radar on our website, and um, you know, when you see him, I don't know. It just to me when I saw him in Lowell and, and earlier in the season with Salem, there wasn't. I just, you know, I didn't really see that much, but. I've been getting a little chatter, you know, some questions on him. What's the deal? What do you see? Where do you think? What do you think about him? And then some other opinions come back to me that are a little bit different than mine. And one one guy was, was flat out, just flat out told me, he was like, hey, you underrate Ryan Presley big time. You know, so I, I took that seriously when, when he said that to me, when he called me out like that. So I think, I think with Presley and Clay, with, and Caleb Clay as well, some organizations like the way they throw the ball. They like the way the ball moves, comes out of their hand. I think if they, they might just take them in the, in the draft and, and, and see if they have anything in spring training, if they can tweak them. Maybe they think the Red Sox have done, you know, maybe they think they can do some things differently. Remember, the Red Sox way is not the only way in Major League Baseball. So maybe they think there's some things they can do, and, and who knows? Maybe they, instead of returning them, they offer, they try to trade for them. After spring training and just getting a look, I think part of it is getting a look at some guys that you can bring into your camp and see for eight weeks or whatever. If you can, you get a little bit more out of them that the that they've been, you know, the, that the organization they're with. So Clay and Presley, to me, are, are interesting types, especially with the reports that class, that I've been getting back on Presley, and also I got some, you know, some people telling me that Clay, you know, some people were saying they like the way that the ball sinks when Clay, you know, throws it. And and with Celestino, he just has a really good arm and a lot and really good stuff. But he's just so far away that you know he's not one of, he's not really a guy that I would take to take you know to pick and take a look at. But Caleb Clay or Presley, if I'm a director, of, you know player development, I might say bring him in for eight weeks and let's see what we got here before we have to return him. And if we like him, maybe we'll offer you know offer the organization something back for him.
0: Yeah, it, you know, it seems to me that guys that get a lot of attention in Rule Five are lefties because those are the guys who really have a chance to stick. I mean, you look at Tommy Haasovy; he could probably stick in a major league bullpen if he's not on the. If, you know, he could he could be a Rule Five pick if he weren't on the forty man roster. Um, we've seen that with Cesar Cabral, Jose Capayan. Um, I mean, I, I, there might have been one or two other lefties who the Red Sox have lost out of maybe the lower minors. You would even call it, um, or you would call it, uh, in the Rule Five draft. However, if anyone looks at Manny Rivera in that way, you got to realize that this is a guy, he's got great numbers in Greenville, but A, the fact that he's still in Greenville speaks volumes about what the organization thinks of his future. I, I think if they really saw him as a true prospect, he'd, be, he'd have been in Salem. There's been all kinds of room there for him. And the fact is, his fastball tops out in the 80s. He might be able to get it up to 90 uh, if he has to. But, uh, you know, he's a soft tosser. He's not the kind of guy, if you're looking at lefties, and maybe looking at Rivera that might get picked. Um well, we're almost out of time. Uh, I probably should mention one quick news, uh, news piece. Uh, Will Middlebrooks and chi Sen Chang recently played in the futures game? Uh, we've hit on them uh, plenty. Also, the Red Sox today signed uh, Williams Jerez, their second-round pick. Finally, starting to see some of these top draft picks get signed. Uh, you know, hopefully, we'll see some more dominoes fall. Maybe one of the top four selections signs next. Before that, I think Miguel Pena, the sixth-rounder, was the earliest pick they'd signed. Right? Am I forgetting anyone? But <laughs> Uh, it just seems like no one is signing. It's very, very strange. Um, get some bodies into the GCL and Lowell. Um, all right. Well, uh, just, just some quick Twitter, quick Twitter questions. Uh, we mentioned what happened to Stolmy. Rich Hastings added that. Asked that. Um, we talked about Brent a little bit as far as his approach. Uh, one other question he had is Vidic an infielder? I guess real quick. Have all you guys seen him? I think. Uh, I know Chris has. I have. Meoli and Ian. Have you guys seen him? I have not. I saw him a few times this year. Yeah, I mean, is he an infielder or is he, uh, is he a future outfielder? Outfielder. Uh, outfielder.
3: Haven't seen him. Can't make a judgment.
0: No. All right, yeah. I, he's putting the work in. I see him as an outfielder personally. Um, we talked about Drake Britton. Uh, Brad Lamott asked him about that. His numbers have fallen off, and I have him in a dynasty league, he asks. Uh, my advice to you, sir, uh, I would avoid guys below double A in a dynasty league unless they're a true stud. That's my advice, and uh, let's put it this way: Exile on Lansdowne Street is currently in first place in my Dynasty League. So that is my advice to you: <laughs> avoid the young guys unless they're, say, a Mike Trout or a Bryce Harper. That's um, why I wanted
4: to mention that one.
0: Yeah, exactly why. Exactly why. I gotta plug. I gotta plug my team. Just cause, it's because I'm so proud of the name. It's Exile on Lansdowne Street. You mix the stones and the socks. That's pretty uh, good. Yeah, and we mentioned Rich Fortier asking about uh, Fedorovich and Exposito. So um, next time, hopefully we'll get some more of your questions, guys. I uh, just want to thank Ian and uh, Ian and John, filling in on kind of short notice, coming in and adding some stuff to the broadcast. So thank you guys for uh, for hopping on. Uh, hopefully this will not be the last time we have you guys on. Uh, you know what, I think, Melon, we need to have like a, a battle royale at the end of the year, just some kind of... A, Get like 20 people on the podcast and just have everyone scream at each other like it's uh, Sports Talk Radio or something. Like
2: a Royal, like a Royal Rumble? Oh no, you're Battle Royal, I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah, that's yeah,
0: no, exactly the same. You're, we're on the same, you we're on the same idea. I'm just, I like the Royal way, Rumble.
2: Raw was Draw fast. numbers. Everybody runs down. Draw big. numbers? Yeah.
0: <laughs> I'm sure that'll go really them. well. <laughs> It'll go great. We'll get everybody on here. And then Singer will beat all of us. He'll just call all of us busts and stiffs and <laughs>
1: yeah. we'll win. Which which is uh,
0: true? We are, <laughs> we are all busts and steps. All right. Well, thank you everybody for listening. Sorry we ran a little late. Uh, you know, if Mike Andrews were here, he probably would have held us to a tighter ship. But what can I say? Uh, run things a little looser. But uh, thanks for listening. Uh, Mike and Ian will theoretically the other Ian will theoretically be back next time. Uh, but we'll see. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll be back soon. Thanks for reading. Take care.